we started praying for this week and just where we wanted to go with it, I thought, you know, it would be great to have uh, our ladies that kind of help spearhead bloom, kind of share a perspective from a mom's uh, viewpoint on Mother's Day. And so the greatest woman on the planet, uh, I'm married to her, sorry guys, um, but Barb, I asked her, I'm like, would you, would you be willing to do this? And then I asked Kim, and then I asked Shelly, and so these ladies are going to be sharing with us this morning. There's a lot of depth in what they're sharing, a lot of great perspective, and uh, I think you're, you're going to enjoy it. So give it up for my lovely bride, not my spare rib, but my prime rib, Barb. Well, over the years since we've been here, a lot of times when I meet people and I tell them who I am, they say, oh, I have always wondered who Tim's wife was. I hear him talking about you, and I always kind of look, try and look in the direction he's looking to see who you are, but I just never knew who you were. So I just want to help clear up any confusion for any of you that you might still have. So that is one of my claims to fame. Um, for those of us who've known us for very long, uh, this is how they would describe us. They usually say that Tim is the one that ruffles people's feathers, and then I'm the one who comes along behind and tries to smooth them all back down again. And so in keeping with that thought, I do need to apologize for something that he said a couple weeks ago. I feel like he probably offended a large portion of the people that were here. So for anybody who has had is having or will have hot flashes. I am so sorry that he tried to equate that little sweat that broke out on his brow the, a couple weeks ago when it was hot to what we as women really go through, okay? So please accept my apologies. So we're talking about spiritual warfare and I'm here to talk to you today about identity because I feel like one of the most consistent and effective ways that the enemy tries to engage us in spiritual battle and to take us down is by skewing our perspective of ourselves. Um, we have to be confident in our identity and that is not always just who we are, but we also have to know who we are not. I love this quote by Mother Teresa. She says, if you are humble, nothing will touch you, neither praise nor disgrace because you know who you are. And each of us, Man and woman, child, we're forced to figure this out many times in our lives. The enemy wants us to have an unrealistic perspective about what our life is supposed to look like, or he wants us to compare ourselves to others so that we become discontent. And as mothers, that's a big one. It's hard not to look around at other mothers and feel like they're doing a better job than we do, but that is a lie from the enemy. I had to learn this many years ago when we ministered to professional athletes and their wives. Big houses, skinny bodies, and lots of stuff were never in short supply. But I had to find my own identity in the midst of all that. And one scripture that the Lord really used for me is Zephaniah 3.17. And it says that he rejoices over me with shouts of joy. So I thought I'd learned that lesson, but then I came here and I was a pastor's wife. And I never had been a pastor's wife. I didn't know how to do it. 
I have since learned there are a lot of expectations that can be placed on pastors and their families. It can be exhausting trying to live up to these expectations if you're not careful. When we were meeting with the board before we came, you know, they asked him, what's your plan? He said, well, I really don't have one. I've never done this before. They asked me what my plan was. I said, well, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I have never been a pastor's wife. I don't know how to do it. I said, I've, I've been in a lot of churches and observed a lot of pastor's wives, but I only know how to be Barb. And so I had to figure out what being Barb in the role of a pastor's wife really looked, at, looked like for me. I am not Beth Moore. I know the scripture, I can teach it, and I can counsel from it. But that's not how I'm wired. I am a mama through and through. I am physically and positionally a mama to my biological children. But I have a mama's heart towards so many of you. I realize that in my role as a pastor's wife, he's called me to be a mama to those who don't have one or to show people that have never understood what unconditional love looks like, what it can really be in their lives. I have five biological children that I could not love anymore if I tried, but I have a lot of heart children, and you know who you are. Um, I knew I was supposed to speak on identity today, but I wasn't exactly sure how to capture exactly what was in my heart and explain it very well. But Wednesday night, um, Tim and I were laying in bed after church, and we were just sharing about our day, sharing different conversations that we had. And I shared a story with him. And when I got done, I laid there, and it was like the Lord said, that's it. That's how you communicate what I want you to share. And so, Melanie, I'm going to talk about you right now. Um, Wednesday night, Kim and Shelly and I were meeting up at Tara about what we were going to share today. And Melanie Newton, who's Melanie and Patrick are two of my children, um, Melanie came to the door of the room with her little girl, Emily. And so Melanie asked me, are y'all having a real meeting or are y'all just talking? I said, well, we are having a real meeting, but I could tell that Emily wanted to see me because she's one of my kids. And so I told her that she could come in. So Emily came running over and I was kind of stretched out on the couch and Emily threw herself on me and just laid on my chest. And we continued to meet. And Melanie went off and did whatever she did, but Emily just laid on me, and I rubbed her back and talked to her. And a little while later, Melanie came back in, and she said, okay, Emily, it's not because I'm jealous that you get to lay on Miss Barb, and I don't, but we have to go. And so laughingly, I told Melanie, Melanie, you can lay on me anytime you need to. And so Melanie came over, and she knelt down by the couch, and she laid her head on my chest, and I rubbed her head, and I kissed it, and I told her that I loved her, and that I was happy she was one of my kids. And God said, see, that's it. That's who I have called you to be as a pastor's wife. The world needs Beth Moores, and the world needs Billy Grahams, and Tim Cashes, and Lisa Slades. But the world needs me, my world needs me to be consistent with who he's called me to be. 
And the world needs you, your world needs you to know who you are in Christ and to know not who you are not and to be consistent with that because we were created for a purpose, each and every one of us, and the enemy is going to come against you. He's going to try and tell you that you're not worthy, that he's going to try and make you be somebody that you're not. He's going to try and make you compare yourself to others. But when that happens, we have to stand strong and know who we are, who we belong to, and stay true to who God has called us to be. So, thank you. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. I'm so excited. This morning has been amazing. Like, after first service, I don't know. The only thing I can think about today is um, he goes before me, and, and um, it has just been incredible. Anyway, so um, my life has not always looked like it looks today. Um, you know, I spent many, many, many years lost in active addiction, um, and the enemy used lies to keep me um, as Tim said last week, um, I loved it when he said, the enemy wants to keep us ineffective and inactive. And, you know, the way that he did that for me was, um, it started when I was really young of, you're not good enough and you don't matter. Um, and that sort of evolved into, well, it didn't sort of, it evolved into 20 years of active addiction for me. And so, um, October 29th of 2008, Psalm 40, verse 2, he lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. Um, and he did. He just reached down and he pulled me out of the darkness and he set me on solid ground and in the light. And, um, and it's just been amazing, you know. And so... Um, the enemy wants to keep people lost and in the dark. He wants the voices to be loud in my head telling me that I don't matter and I'm not enough, that God is not real and my story just doesn't matter. Um, but today, I stand before you um, confident in who I am um, and whose I am, more importantly. And, um, you know, just to walk in freedom, his freedom, um, and to be able to reach women um, and come alongside them and help them find freedom in their life. When I first started this journey, I thought that that just meant freedom from active addiction, but I know today that that just means freedom, period. It just means walking in the freedom um, that we have because of Christ. So, um, let me see. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And as I meditated and prayed and just um, prepared for today, I was just... Where it says yoke of slavery, that is so powerful. And I'd never really thought about that before. Like, that's what I did. I lived with a yoke of slavery for years and years and years. And today I don't. Um, today, you know, I walk in his freedom. So today I believe what God says about me. Um, I know that when he looks at me, he sees me as whole and pure and worthy. 
um, because he is enough and his grace is sufficient for me and he is sufficient for you too. And um, so, you know, um, as my life unfolds and my, um, just what it looks like to walk in freedom changes and grows for me today. I know um, that I'm right where I'm supposed to be, you know, and that God is using me. And that is so cool to think that he can use me, you know, from where I come from and the things that I did. um, He uses my story to help other women. So, um, let me see. Um, I liked what Tim said last week about victory, and um, we fight from victory, not for victory. And 1 John 4, 4 says, but you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit of the world. And so when, we st- when I start to believe that and walk in that, it, is just, it has been an amazing, amazing journey. And I'm so excited to see what, um, what else he has for me. So I just want to close with Ephesians 4, verse 21. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitude. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day. All right, so I think they put me last because I'm a little long-winded. So, at least that's what I think. All right, so a few weeks ago when Tim mentioned that he was starting a um, series on spiritual warfare, I have to admit I got very excited because on a personal note, you know, spiritual warfare is really close to my heart, and I think that partly that's because I have definitely been engaged in a very long spiritual battle. It's actually been going on for about 26 years. So I learned a lot about spiritual warfare early in my walk, and so I was really personally pumped when he said that he was going to be delving into this. So I think it's important anytime that you talk about any subject that you go to an expert subject matter or a subject matter expert. So what I did was I did a little interview by email to my soon-to-be son-in-law who is a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps um, and he serves as um, ground intelligence is what his uh, MOS is. So I asked him if he could give me five tips for military strategies during wartime. Because I really wanted to look at those and I wanted to compare them to what the Word of God has to say. So what he answered was, number one, you have to be faster than the enemy, moving and outcycling him before he can orient on you and your maneuvers. Well, immediately I thought about our position. In Christ, the Word of God says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. That is our position, or at least that is the position that God has called us to. So we have to get our position solidified. In this battle, it is imperative that you discover who you are in Christ and the character of your commander-in-chief. Zephaniah 3.17 says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty. He is the warrior that saves. I have to tell you, transparently, on this Mother's Day, that I allowed him to get the best of me. 
along this 20-year-plus battle that I have fought for my marriage. Transparently as well, I will tell you, I began fighting my spiritual battles with my own physical strength and my own physical intellect. It's pretty prideful, isn't it? I never questioned what God wanted the outcome to be. I truly didn't. I knew what God's word said. It was very clear what his promises were. But what I was very doubtful of is what I knew he had to work with. I knew that I had gotten my eyes off of the promises of God and I had got them on to my circumstances. And I had definitely lost sight of the limitless potential in Christ. So number two that he shared with me is that when you fight your battles, you always need to fight on your terms. You don't give the enemy a vote. You respond violent and aggressive, making him move where you want him to move. Luke 10, 19 declares, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all of the power of the enemy. Not some, all. Remember, as Tim mentioned last week, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in you. If you're a believer, if you've accepted him as your savior, the same spirit that raised him from the dead lives in you. But here's the problem. Do you believe it? If you don't believe that and you don't nail that down, then you are going to go into every battle unarmed because your identity and what he has said about you and what he is doing in you is not going to be what leads you. I started believing a lie. I started believing many lies. The internal dialogue went something like this. Kim, you know things are never going to change. And then shame would pick up and speak up with its voice. Kim, you deserve this. Look at the way you two started off. You were so young. Did you really think it could work? Again, my eyes were on the problem. My ears perked up to those lies instead of tuning into the voice of truth who was more concerned about building his character and his integrity inside of me than he's interested in fixing my problems. Now, mothers, I'm going to address you this morning because you all know that we are guilty of wanting to fix everything, right? We want everything to be okay with our kids. We want everything to be okay with our friends. We just like to fix things. That's just the way we tend to be. But we are not called to be the Holy Spirit. We are not called to be, as Tim lovingly refers to the third member or the fourth member of the Trinity. We are called to let God do that work inside of us. Number two, you can never know his weaknesses without knowing his strengths better than he does. Okay, people tend to have a problem with this because they really don't like the imbalance of giving the enemy too much credit. We say his name too much. You know, we really don't need to do that. We just need to focus on God. I agree, and I get that. However, all four branches of our military seem to find it very important that they actually have entire divisions of people who their job is to study the enemy, to know his moves, his character, what he's doing, where he's going, how he's operated in the past, right? It's no different with our enemy. How do we know the character of the enemy? John 10.10 declares, the thief comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. Three things. Pretty simple. You can look around your life, and if you see anything being stolen, anything being killed, or anything being destroyed, you can 
right away identify that is the work of the enemy. There has to be balance in this. He is a created being. He is not a creator, so he is limited. But here's the truth. He has studied you a long time. He rarely tries anything new, unless, of course, the old lie quits working. I've heard it said, the higher the level, the bigger the devil. I have found that to be true in my life. Reality is we give him all the ammunition he needs to mess with us. We can't, he can't read your mind. So quit giving him the ammunition with your mouth. You've got to start allowing the confession of your heart, what you're believing for, the promises of God. Your confession better start lining up because we were created in the image of God. We are mind, we are body, and we are spirit. Okay? Your soul, I'm sorry, your soul is made up of your, your, your mind, will, and your emotions. We have got to understand that we're made in the image of God. So make sure that your confession, he spoke the entire earth into existence with his words, did he not? So what we speak has power because we are created in the image of God. I have to tell you that out of deep pain and bitterness, I was regularly confessing the total opposite of what God's word promised me. I had internalized and wrestled for so long that I actually became physically sick because I was unable to let go and let God. Now, I won't go into that whole chapter of my story about battling colon cancer, but I will tell you that when you internalize and wrestle and your negative self-talk and it's constantly, this is not going to work out, it's not worth it, whatever your situation is, that stuff affects you. And that's why I mentioned that we're made in the image of God. We are body, soul, and spirit. And we can't expect that if that internal, those lies are processing through us, that they are not going to manifest in our physical bodies. It happened to me. Number four, when you strategize in battles, you play to your strengths and you force his hand at your time of choosing. Now, I really like this because I like the whole kind of spiritual cockiness there, right? Like, I'm going to force his hand in this situation. But you know what? We can have that boldness inside of us because of Christ. The Word of God says to boast in nothing but God. So I can boast in God. And in God, I can do all things through Him because He gives me the strength. So be strategic when you pray. The only piece of armor that you have that is offensive in nature, or offense in nature, is the the sword. That's it. So do your fighting with the sword of the Spirit. That is the Word of God. Fight with God's truths, not your own stamina and intellect. Believe me, it's no match, because I tried. I did, and it didn't work. Ephesians 6.12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of darkness in the heavenly realms. Remember what I told you earlier about our position? We're seated with Christ. Why do you think the Word of God says that Satan is the prince of the airways? There is a real battle going on. Sticking your head in the sand and pretending like it's not is not changing anything. I mean, don't we do that as Americans? We go home into our houses and we flip the news on and we see another soldier died or, you know, we just, we live in this false sense of safety and security and if we just go on about our lives, then the war is really not happening. Well, it is. We're losing soldiers every single day. This spiritual battle is real. 
And you cannot negate that. And I would challenge you with the fact that if you're not in recognition of that and you don't see that, are you a threat to him? Is your life a threat to the enemy at all? Are you advancing the kingdom of God in such a way that the enemy looks at you like it says and says, oh crap, she's up in the morning? You know, something to think about. I became so weary, I often discovered that I stopped praying. Now, anybody that knows me very well knows that prayer is very close to my heart. Nothing thrills me more than to pray somebody through something, to stand by your side and watch it come to pass. I love it. I'm passionate about it. But in this long battle, I discovered many times I just kind of quit praying for it. Like how many more times and ways can you ask for something? How many more nights can you lay in bed and cry out to God, Lord, I, I want you to heal my marriage. I want to see restoration. I know what you've promised me, but God, but God. Truthfully, I didn't know what else to ask. So I just sort of began to believe there was no hope. I knew God's character, but I also knew, again, I say it, kind of humorously, but it's the truth. I knew what he had to work with. I leaned on my own understanding and assessment of what I could see. But God. Number five that Jake shared with me was, most battles are short, but it's in the long war that grinds us down. With long battles, physically and emotionally healthy is what we preach. Now this one really spoke to my heart because I could identify I really could identify with a long battle. Isaiah 40, 29 says, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, He increases their strength. That's powerful. In my weakness, He becomes stronger. So I started kind of like, okay, God, so the weaker I get and the more depleted of self that I have and the more that I hit my rock bottom and the more that I let go, the stronger you become in my life. I like this. No, I don't like the process, but I like this. It is in our weakness that he became my strength and I had to come to the end of Kim. I love this quote. Rock bottom became the ground in which I built my life on. Nobody wants that to be their story right? Who wants to hit rock bottom? Nobody. I did it. I struggled with worth. I struggled with your approval. I didn't want to like have everything crash, but you know what? And I had many crashes, but God. Anybody can win a short battle, but it's in the heat of the long battle that we can grow weary and end up losing major ground. That's why soldiers are given passes during wartime to recuperate. We have to retreat, we have to reacclimate ourselves with truth and get back up on our feet and stand. And what does the Word of God say when I've done all to stand? I stand. Don't be tempted to raise that white flag. Some of you this morning, you're in a long battle. It could be many different things, it might not be marriage. But you've held on and you've held on and you've prayed and you've prayed and you just haven't seen anything happen with your natural eyes. Hang on. Surround yourself with people who will lock arms with you and believe with you. In my marriage, sometimes it was easier to surround myself with other people who were struggling in their marriages and who could tell me, yeah, that's right, he's a jerk, right? That's what we like. We surround ourselves with what our itching ears want to hear. 
but it is so important to surround yourself with people who have gained victory in that area. And that's what I did. I locked arms with people, and people loved me enough through it to keep standing. So the Stars and Stripes magazine, it's a magazine that the military writes, has an article, and it was cited to say this. The U.S. military is rolling out a new rest and recuperation program for troops fighting in Afghanistan. Unit leaders strive to give all service members as much downtime as possible, no matter where they are located, while providing a safe and secure environment to unwind from a taxing and difficult mission. When U.S. forces are in a combat area for an extended period of time, it is extremely important from a leadership perspective to give these young men and women an opportunity to rest, recuperate, and reunite with their families, even if it's for a short time. That spoke to my heart. I loved that one. I truly saw no way out. I'm just being very honest with you. I saw no way out. To me, it was like either way I turned, it was going to end in defeat. I looked around and I saw marriages that I longed for. I did. The marriage that I not only longed for, but I truly believed that God had promised me. And I believed it would never come to fruition, and I decided giving up was my best option. I was weary, I was tired, and I was over it. But I had a few godly people come beside me. And this word is what resonates in my heart, and I believe that this word is something that you need to get down on the inside of you too, perseverance. Perseverance is important. So many people in this world give up on so many things that are important. I believe that covenant marriage is worth fighting for. There is no other human relationship where it is said the two shall become one. Jesus communicated clearly, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. They were one. Marriage is a God thing. It's meant to display how Jesus never gives up on us. And we sell its power way too short. If you don't think your marriage or your pending marriage is a threat to the enemy, you are sadly mistaken. In the last two years, I am so happy this morning to stand up here and say to you, though we are far from perfect, God has rekindled our love. He has restored order to insane chaos. He has built us into a team. I woke up in the middle of the night with him praying over me for this morning. He has taught us healthy communication. And it's hard when you've had years of unhealthy communication to break those habits. He's restored peace in our home and he's healed our marriage. Was it worth staying in the battle? Yes, yes, yes. And you know, sometimes I look at it and I'm like, God, we've raised three kids. The youngest is now almost 20. Kind of would have been nice if you could have done it during all those years. <laughs> But you know what he's showing me? My mother heart has cried out like yours has. God, all I want for my kids is for them to know you. I don't care how successful they are. I don't care where they go or what they do. I just want them to walk with you. And so if my kids can see that nobody is worth giving up on and that marriage is worth fighting for, then I'm glad. I'm glad. So my disclaimer is this, and I just lost it. Let's see, where did it go? I'm just going to say it. It'll come to me. Um, you can't have a war without casualties. Every war has casualties. We lose good people. 
We lose, we lose, lose young men and women that have battled for their country. It doesn't stop the overall importance of the battle that is still being fought. Some of you have lost marriages. Some of you have lost many other things. Don't give up the fight. Get back in the game. It's worth fighting for. Some of you are sitting here this morning and you're hanging on by a thread and you don't know that you're gonna keep fighting in your marriage. And I'm telling you, it's worth it. Marriage is worth fighting for. There's a lot of things in this world that aren't worth fighting for. You have to pick your battles. But marriage is worth fighting for. Breathe out deep. Fix your eyes on God. Let go of a predicted outcome. Because in the reality of all of this stuff, all this, all this topic of spiritual warfare, in the end of the whole thing, the process is that it changes you. And then I'll end you, leave you with this. Even if not, he is still good. Thank you. How good was that? I mean, you got three ladies that have been ransomed and rescued. Three different stories, if you will, three different narratives and marinades that they come out of. Shame and, and guilt is such a terrible motivator for us. And it doesn't matter if it's Barb who grew up in Canada with her dad was the general treasurer of the Anglican Church of Canada, whatever that means. And, uh, <laughs> but just battling through image and identity. Shelly, seven and a half years just clean and walking free with Jesus from addiction and just how God has restored what the locusts sought to eat. Seeing God just so restore the beauty of covenant marriage with Thomas and Kim and, and being able to walk with them over the last years, you kids know it better than anybody. When you, Chris and Hannah and Tori, when you look at that marriage, you go, what happened? But God. And, and I think so many of us walk through life and we even walk in here on a Sunday and I want you to get this. We struggle with guilt we struggle with shame and we struggle with condemnation. And I think so many women struggle with that, but I think so many guys do. I was meeting with a guy this week. He came over to my office on a Tuesday, my home office, and I had an early meeting with him. And he was sharing about just the, the pain of his journey. He's got three kids, three different girls, and just where he's been. And his dad abused him, and his dad just beat the hell out of him growing up. And he has such a worth and just uh, identity struggle. And we were sitting there finishing up our time, and I said, you, you, there's a story about Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I said, I believe if a cloud were to just uh, fall on this room right here, right now, and there was this cloud that just uh, engulfed us, enveloped us right here. I, I believe that we would hear the father, man, extend his hand and put it on your head and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And this dude, man, it's like the faucets just were turned on and began to weep. Do you know how many people really truly believe that God looks down and says, that's my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. That's my boy in whom I'm well pleased. And so we finish up our time and he looks at me and he says, why would you invite me into your home? Why would you have me here? 
you don't really know all my junk and all my craziness and where I've been. Why would you be willing to spend time with me? Why would you meet with me, Tim? And I said, because uh, I don't see you the way you see you. You see yourself as a piece of crap, but I see you as loved and accepted with worth and value because I believe that's the way my Papa and Abba and Father in Heaven sees you. And then he just begins to weep. Yeah, clap. It's so right on because so many people struggle with that. And and so many people have gone to church and they've been rope-a-doped and beat up so much. You don't measure up and, oh, you didn't dress right. And, oh, you're not, you don't have the King James. What's wrong with your gig? And, and so many people are so gun shy. My, my, my buddy was here again today. This is his third Sunday. Three out of four Sundays. He was here again today. And he told Neil last Sunday, my buddy Neil, as he was greeting on the way out. Neil, it's been over 40 years since I've been at church. This dude's 65 years old. Do I believe that God loves us? Yes. Do I believe that God has a standard of holiness? Yeah. Do I believe that chains can be broken and the captive set free? Yeah. Yeah, I I believe that. Do I believe that God is wanting to set people free in here today? Yeah. Yeah. Do I believe that so many people are tired of legalism and bondage and they're, they're, they're just wore out? Yeah. Do I believe Matthew 11 is true where Jesus says, come to me all you who are tired and weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest and take my yoke, my yoke, not the yoke of slavery, but his yoke and learn from me. Do I believe that he sings over us and rejoices with songs of praise? Yeah. Do I believe that the word of God is so important, Kim, that we need to be praying the word of God based on Ephesians 6? It's the only offensive thing that we've got based on the armor. Back to even what's in your bulletin, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus being led by the spirit into the wilderness was tempted by the devil. And when the devil came against Jesus, what did Jesus do? Three different times he said, it's written. It is written. So when the tempter is near and he has my ear, what he needs to hear is it is written, I need to be fed, but not Satan's bread. What Jesus said was, it is written. In the tempting hour, if he offers me power, send me a shower of, it is written. When the battle's all done, the devil will run. Because King Jesus has won, it is written. It is time for us to believe the Word of God, stand on the principles of the Word of God. And so when the enemy comes, we're clothed with truth, righteousness, salvation, peace, and we go, I've got the sword of the Spirit. So dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. So we're going to grab our Word and we're going to start to get the Word in us so that when the enemy comes at us, we're ready to do battle. God wants to set you free from your shame and guilt today. No matter where you've been, what you've done, the blood of Jesus is enough. And the Spirit of God living inside these earthen jars is able to break loose and offer you a future and a hope that you've never experienced. Just ask Shelly 
and Kim and Barb.